Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross. Please find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. Uh, got a got a good show, hopefully, uh, this week for you. Um, we got uh, an interview with uh, goalie Semyon Varlamov. And, of course, Andrew's answers, uh, taking your questions via Twitter. Um, but a, a lot to dive into uh, in this episode. Obviously, you have the Casey Sezikis injury, how that's going to affect the Islanders moving forward. Uh, I, I am speaking to you from a hotel room in Nash- Nashville, Smashville, um, and the the Islanders are embarking on a four-game road trip. Uh, not an easy game amongst the bunch with the, uh, with the Predators and the Vegas Golden Knights and going to Arizona to face the Coyotes and finishing up against the, uh, uh, the fast-skating Avalanche in Colorado. And, of course, uh, by the time the Islanders return home to New York, they will be right up against the February 24th NHL trade deadline, and we can talk a little bit about that as well. But uh, before getting to Nashville, the Islanders uh, finished up a, a back-to-back with a 5-3 win over the Capitals at Barclays Center on Tuesday. And you know what? I, I, I just want to start there. <laughs> Not really hockey-related, but I know a couple of episodes back, uh, someone got to me on Twitter and, and, and kind of, you know, chirped at me that I was a little bit too monotone and, uh, you know, maybe needed to be more animated. And as I was going to Barclays Center, you know, landed a... LaGuardia after uh, Monday's game at Washington and uh, go to Barclays uh, for the 5-3 win over the Flyers on Tuesday. And as I'm driving through Brooklyn, I'm thinking, you know what, I I should just, if you want an animated Andrew Gross, I should do a podcast as I'm trying to navigate Flatbush Avenue or Atlantic Avenue trying to get to Barclays Center because... You know what? I, I it, it it felt like I was skiing a slalom trying to get down Flatbush Avenue. There were cabs coming out from everywhere. I I don't think I've leaned on the horn that much in, in about ten years, and, and I just I was laughing because I, I I think that would be a great podcast. Just me dissecting my trip, trying to drive to. Uh, to Barclays Center, driving through Brooklyn. It, it was, <laughs> I know a lot of you do the same, and you know what I'm talking about. Uh, that was that was some trip. But anyway, like I said, we're, we're here in Nashville, and um, the, uh, the news came down right before, uh, before the, my plane took off from LaGuardia going back out to Nashville that Casey Sezikis was going to miss three to four weeks with a leg laceration. He took a, a defenseman Ivan Provorov's uh, skate blade. It looked right around his left knee area uh, early in the first period of Tuesday's 5-3 win over the Flyers at Barclays Center, and it immediately looked bad. You know, he, he, he crawled a little bit on the ice, and then uh, Leo Komarov and Matt Martin had to help him off the ice. He wasn't putting any weight on the left uh, leg, and and to be honest with you, him being out, you know, the, the the prognosis of three to four weeks is probably a lot better than most people were thinking. As you saw him, you know, unable to put any weight on that left leg, but still, it, it does put a hole into the Islanders lineup. Cole Bardreau, who kind of quickly became a fan favorite earlier this season. Uh, during a nine-game stint, a uh, goal and an assist, and just some, you know, gritty forechecking and, uh, you know, hard play from Colbard Drogue. Um, uh, so he gets called up from Bridgeport. The expectation is that, you know, he'll go into Casey's spot and, you know, 
that that lately has been between Matt Martin and Komarov with uh, Cal Clutterbuck still out indefinitely after he took a skate blade uh, to his left wrist December 19th in uh, Boston. And he's begun skating on his own, or he is skating on his own, but uh, has not rejoined the Islanders for practice yet. But it's, you know, uh, Casey Sezikis being out, and obviously we've discussed just, you know, what an identity setter he is for this lineup. And, you know, more importantly, and, and Barry Trotz went right to this when discussing Casey's absence. He went right to the penalty-killing aspect and just how the Islanders were going to have to you know, fill in there uh, w- with Casey being out. And, of course, they, they're, the penalty kill is also missing Clutterbuck, uh, you know, going on two months here. And, of course, defenseman Adam Pellick, uh, another key penalty killer uh, has been out since uh, January 2nd. So, uh, you know, that that's right where Barry Trotz's mind went, not so much how you take up Casey's five-on-five time, which, you know, uh, as soon as he went out, you know, Matthew Barzell and Derek Broussard were kind of double-shifting. And, uh, you know, Matt Martin and Leo Komarov still had a productive game against the Flyers, but... Uh, uh, you know, certainly long range or, or going forward, this makes you wonder what president and general manager Lou Lamarillo will be thinking going into the trade deadline as to whether he needs to, you know, uh, fill that spot or, or try and fill that spot with a uh, more of a veteran NHL presence. Um, certainly, like I said, Colbar Drow does bring that forechecking, brings a little bit of the grittiness. Um, you know, uh, his teammates certainly seem to appreciate him in the room for the way he plays, but, you know, he, he does not have a ton of NHL experience. And uh, this is the time of the season where there's really no time for experimentation. And, uh, you know, Lou Lamarillo has a few holes in this lineup now that really, you know, possibly need addressing. And like I said, you know, Casey and Clutter missing from the penalty kill, but, you know, also the Islanders are still, even though they scored five goals in back-to-back games Monday and Tuesday against two divisional opponents, like I said, a a 5-3 win at Washington on Monday um, against a, a Capitals team that's leading the Metropolitan Division, but is really struggling defensively uh, with their structure, or did at times in that game. Um, and, and then the Flyers, who you know had, had come into the game, I think they were on an eight-one and two streak, um, and, and the Islanders get off to the quick start against them. Um, obviously, this road trip, you know, not that anything is easy and you, you don't expect anything to be easy. And to be honest, when, when the Islanders think something's going to be easiest, that's when they have their worst game. So it's probably a good thing that, uh, you know, uh, this is not an easy road trip. But the Predators amongst the three teams, uh, you know, as I'm speaking, were the only one not in a playoff position. And, uh, you know, the Coyotes obviously have struggled a little bit, not because of Taylor Hall, but since Taylor Hall was acquired from the uh, from the Devils. But uh, the Coyotes still holding a playoff position, and, and Vegas obviously a, a very tough place to go in and, and play. Um, and, and the Avalanche, you know, the Islanders did beat the Avalanche one nothing uh, at the Coliseum. Uh, when Colorado came in, but that uh, that's not necessarily the type of game you expect when you face the Avalanche. So, uh, you know, with with all their high-flying offensive talent, of course, led by, uh, you know, Nathan McKinnon and on the back end, Cal McCarr, and, you know, that's just a talented roster there. Um, So, you know, the the Islanders are going to have their hands full on this road trip and, and, again, made more difficult by the Casey Sezikis injury. And, uh, again, you know, we're we're really going to see how Lou Lamarillo uh, responds to this, and whether you know he's he's fallen back on the uh, uh, the Islanders having good chemistry 
Um, you know, last stood pat at last season's trade deadline. Uh, really stood pat over the summer in terms of importing, you know, other players. He obviously re-signed Anders Lee. He re-signed Jordan Eberle and Brock Nelson. Brought in uh, Semyon Varlamov, again, who will be our guest in, in just a few minutes on this show. Um, losing Robin Leonard, I don't need to go through the litany, but really the only player, you know, other than Varlamov he brings in is Derek Broussard. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I went back and uh, obviously when I, I wrote about Matt Martin in last uh, Sunday's uh, Islanders Insider and got a quick sentence in there that, that reacquiring Matt Martin from the Toronto Maple Leafs has been Lou Lamarillo's only trade since, you know, taking over the Islanders. And, uh, you know, going around the, the past month and talking to people in different cities, that the expectation going into the Feb 24th trade deadline is that will not be the case this year. You know, everyone around the league is really expecting Lou to make a trade here uh, to, to kind of shore up uh, the lineup. Um, we'll see if that gets done. Obviously, you know, uh, as we speak, you know, uh, you know, about 12, 13 days away from the trade deadline, prices still are high. Um, and, and Lou Lamarillo does have some a- assets that he could flip, you know, in terms of draft picks and, uh, some prospects, but it, you know, you know, Kiefer Bellows now being up with the Islanders, is this a, a showcase or a real audition for him to be a long-term solution uh, for the Islanders? Obviously, uh, Oliver Wallstrom is down in Bridgeport. Uh, Bodie Wild um, got reassigned to his junior hockey team in the Ontario Hockey League, the uh, second-round uh, uh, pick, the defenseman. Uh, who kind of got an injury plague start to the season, but uh, uh, he's back down in the OHL, and you know that that does open up uh, in the organization another uh, position, another roster spot, if you will. The Islanders, uh, you know, have fifty contracts that they can have there, and uh, you know, moving Bodie Wild back down to the OHL certainly, uh, you know, could could open up, a, or it does open up uh, a, a potentially very valuable, uh, you know, contract spot uh, for the Islanders to take someone on. Uh, now, the, the, the one, you know, kind of headline trade in the NHL uh, this week, the Pittsburgh Penguins acquired Jason Zucker from the Minnesota Wild, and that's a guy, that's a forward I had mentioned, I think, for a couple of weeks here, is someone who potentially could have been on the Islanders' radar. Uh, The belief is that Lou, you know, Lou obviously making calls around the league, that was one of the players he had inquired about. Um, But Zucker goes to the Pittsburgh Penguins for a package that includes a first-rounder, includes a pretty, uh, you know, well-respected defense prospect in uh, Kalen Addison. Um, And then also... uh, uh, a somewhat disappointing NHLer in Alex Galchenyuk, who uh, the Canadians selected third overall in 2012 and is now on his fourth team in three seasons. He's on an expiring deal. Um, and, you know, there, there's some, uh, it's not expected he's going to remain with the Wild past this season. He'll, he'll probably be a, you know, a, a free agent and, uh, you know, who knows where he winds up next season or even in what league he winds up next season, whether, whether he's able to secure another NHL contract. But, you know, still, uh, Trader Jim, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins GM, Jim Rutherford, did kind of, uh, you know, set a high bar there, you know. Uh, he, now, obviously, Jason Zucker is not uh, an impending unrestricted free agent, so you're going to pay a little bit more for him. But still, you know, I, I thought Jim Rutherford, you know, he was decisive here. He went out and he got a piece, you know, he needed. And the Penguins, you know, have fought through a lot of injuries this season. And uh, Mike Sullivan's doing a heck 
heck of a job. Uh, you know, the Penguins are in second place, and uh, you know they may be playing as well as anyone in the uh, in the Metropolitan Division. And you know, I don't think anyone wants to play them in the playoffs this season, and they get better. Uh, you know, not by subtracting Galchenyuk, but by the addition of Zucker. You know, I'd rather have Zucker in the lineup than Galchenyuk. And, uh, you know, again, you know, Jim Rutherford has a uh, reputation, you know, Trader Jim, a guy who will go out and get those pieces. And, and he struck early, but, you know, he also kind of set a high bar for other teams making trades and in what you're going to, you know, have to give up potentially in, in deals. Uh, and now, again, the, the price may be lower for uh, a rental than uh, a piece like Zucker, who is not a uh, uh, impending UFA. But, you know, I applaud the way uh, Jim Rutherford acted here. And uh, again, the ball is going to be in Lou Lamarillo's court to see exactly, you know, what happens in, in terms of uh, shoring up the Islanders' lineup where, you know, you could say that the Islanders and now that Casey is out, you know, do you need you need a bottom six center there? Do you need a top six wing who can score? Um, and do you need another defenseman, a lefty shooting defenseman uh, with Adam Pellick out? Um, so a, a lot on the plate. And, uh, you know, Lou Lamarillo, we'll, we'll see whether he does make a trade here. Again, like I said, going around uh, the cities, uh, you know, everyone I've spoken to, you know, what I get is, oh, Lou's going to make a deal. So uh, we'll see with that. And for now, you know, uh, Kiefer Bellows gets the audition to see if he can be a long-term solution, as mentioned. And also Cole Bardreau gets a, a second stint here in the NHL and, uh, you know, he uh, he obviously <laughs> he made an impression when he first comes up, gets his first and so far only NHL goal on a penalty shot against the uh, Ottawa Senators, becoming just the seventh player in NHL history to uh, to score uh, his first NHL goal on a penalty shot. Um, you know, but you you look at who else scored in that game against the Senators, and it was a. Uh, Casey Sezikis and Cal Clutterbuck, and those are, you know, like I said, going back to it, two big pieces that are missing from the Islanders right now. And, uh, you know, in that game, you know, uh, Colbar Drew, the expectation is he'll, he'll center, like I said, Matt Martin or, or potentially Ross Johnson um, and, and uh, Leo Komarov in, in that game or when he first came up. Uh, Sezikis you know, was bumped up to the third line and he had Clutterbuck and Michael Dalcall on his wings and uh, Bardreau was skating with Oliver Wallstrom, who's now down in Bridgeport, and Ross Johnson. So, uh, you know, one of the things that, that Barry Trotz was just able to get back to, which, you know, another reason why the Casey Sezikis, uh injury is so disappointing for the Islanders is... You know, Barry has sort of sought all season to get back to that four-line consistency and to be able to roll those four lines that he did so well last season. It seemed like he was just able to get back to it. The third line uh, was purring along a little bit different, uh, a little bit better. Michael Dalcall has had some more consistent production. Uh, Derek Broussard. Uh, you know, snaps an 18-game goal streak, uh, a, a goalless drought. He, get, he gets his production up. So Barry had gotten back to really, you know, being able to spread the minutes and, and get a little bit more out of his bottom six and and to have Sezikis go down. And, and, and yet another kind of, you know, freakish injury. He got, you know, the Cal Clutterbuck uh, you know, skate blade through his left, you know, wrist there, and you know, another skate blade for Casey Sezikis, and then the Adam Pellick, he doesn't even make it to the ice for warm-ups against the Devils on January 2nd. Uh, belief is, you know, he gets hurt, you know, in those kind of uh, soccer games that the, uh, the, the, the guys play uh, beforehand. So, uh, you know, some freakish injuries. The Islanders did not deal with injuries as much last season. Uh, and yet their record is, you know, pretty much the same place where it was 
last season. In fact, it, it was exactly equal um, going into the Flyer game. And, and interestingly, you know, the last season, the Islanders, with the same record, were actually in first place uh, in the Metro. Uh, and this season, of course... Right now, uh, as I speak to you from Nashville before playing the Predators, they're two points out of second place and two points ahead of uh, fourth place and, you know, trying to fight off falling into a wild card spot. So, you know, a difference a year makes, right? But uh, uh, so that's that's where the Islanders are. And, uh, you know... I think this this four game road trip is going to say a lot as to where uh, the Islanders you know wind up and 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 what kind of urgency Lou Lamarillo does go into the trade deadline with. Now the Islanders, you know the the back to back wins against the Flyers and the uh, and the uh, the Capitals uh, one two three four five five you know five one and one. Uh, five one and two there. Uh, yep, five one and two. So the, the the Islanders are, you know, they're they're getting points again. You know, it's not back to the fifteen zero and two franchise record streak they had through October October and November, but the 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 Islanders, you know, a good streak of getting points here, and they're they're going to have to continue to you know, push the envelope and get more and more points. And uh, that, that's why everyone was so thrilled with that 5-3 win over the Flyers on Tuesday because, uh, you know, the, the, the Islanders take a 3 nothing lead and the Flyers come all the way back. You know, they tie it late in the third period on a 6-on-5 goal with Brian Elliott off for a, uh, an extra skater, and it doesn't phase the Islanders. And Ryan Pulak on a blistering slap shot in the next shift, you know, scores the winner, and then Komarov adds a uh, empty netter, and all of a sudden it's a 5-3 win, where less than two minutes earlier it looked like, you know, that game was certainly going to overtime. And what a lot of players talked about in the room after the game was, you know, how huge that was to not allow the Flyers, you know, to get the one or two points there um, and, and to close that out in regulation. And uh, uh, I believe Anders Lee said, you know, this could be a game that we, we look back at at the end of the year as maybe, you know, the implication, you know, that it was one that helped them get into the playoffs and maybe knock the Flyers out. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll certainly see on that. But, but now, um, like I said, I, I chatted with Semyon Varlamov in uh, Washington on Monday and uh, just went over, you know, his background and coming to the Islanders and uh, how his season's going and uh, also, you know, how he learned to speak English. And uh, so uh, here, here's my interview with Semyon Varlamov. Uh, here with Semyon Varlamov and uh, Semyon just... In general, any surprises first season making a transition to a new team after so long in Colorado? Or is this pretty much what you expected, or, or did you have any expectations? Um, I mean, listen, I've been in the league uh, for a long time, so uh, it was easy for me to make a transition now uh, with a new team. Uh, this is great uh, group of guys, you know, you know, like great coaching stuff. So the welcomed me like from the day one and then I feel comfortable uh, playing this team uh, from the day one so everything is good. Coming to the Islanders I know this is all you know what was the perception that you had of the team and has it been pretty much the same from what, what you thought? Yeah I mean um, like before I came here um, I heard a lot of good things about the organization um, and then uh, about this team and then um, I watched like a lot of games uh, from uh, previous years, like the way Islanders played, especially last year with the new coaching stuff. Uh, yeah. It's been a successful team, and then uh, I know the, the the guys working really hard, like for for goal, especially like, uh, and then it's a good uh, defensive uh, team uh, uh, to play with. So, I mean, um, I feel I feel comfortable, and then uh, you know uh, the expectations here. Uh, um, so high, you know, from the from the team, because uh, um, like you know, like the 
down there's uh, fans are the uh, diehard fans you know they love the team and then uh, of course they want this team uh, uh, to win and then uh, we all know that and then uh, uh, we'll love to to feel that uh, from our fans and then uh, we we like our fans I've asked a lot of different goalies this question I feel like there's a different story each time but what what got you into the net you know when you first played was that the position you really wanted to play or were you kind of you know how'd you become a goalie um People ask me so many times this question already. Uh, I think I already answered you, but I'll answer again. Uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. I was uh, eight years old, and then uh, I love to come uh, to the games with my dad. Uh, my dad, he was a huge fan of the hockey. He would come uh, to watch like every game uh, for my hometown team. Uh, and then I was like eight years old. I would come with him, watch the games, eat popcorn, drink Pepsi. And then one day, like I would, I tell my dad, like I actually want to try it. I think it's really cool uh, sport to play. So my dad said, "Yeah, sure." He didn't push me uh, um, to make a decision mm-hmm. to start playing hockey. He didn't do any of that, and I appreciate that. That was my decision. Um, so yeah, and then I started the uh, first month. It's just I was like learning how to skate, and then uh, after first month, like the, the head coach came to me and then he showed me the goalie uh, equipment, but we didn't have any goalies in that time. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to go on the net. Everybody wanted to just uh, score the goals and then shoot the pucks. And then, uh, so I, when I saw the, the, the goal equipment first time, I think I thought like it's a really cool looking thing. So <laughs> I, I tried it on and then I loved it. So I went in the net and then uh, from the day one, I knew it. This is it. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna become the goalie. Yeah. yeah. And then I thought it's always like. Uh, it was always like fun for me um, to try to stop the players from uh, scoring the goals. I, I felt like really good after I like making all these saves, and then I just loved it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure like most goalies, you can. Do you, Do you remember more the great saves you make or the, the some of the goals you've given up? Which stick out more? Listen, I remember my first tournament. I give up. I give up. Uh, I think I was like uh, eight or nine years old, and then we, uh, with uh, my hometown team, we went to the tournament, and then uh, we got beat like every game, like 15-0, 22-0. Yeah. <laughs> like I would give up 20 goals, and then uh, and then the tournament, my stats were like I don't know, like 12, 14 goals per game. I mean, but I was trying to work hard. I mean, I was still having fun. Um, and in the end of the tournament, we give up like 150 goals or something. So my dad, he came to me after the tournament. He asked me like, "Are you alright?" Because he thought I'm gonna retire. That he thought like this is it. Right. After like so many, after I given up so many goals in my first uh, tournament, he thought like I'm gonna be done. Uh, and then I actually told him, "No, like I, I love it. You know, even if I given up the goals, I mean, just a matter of time when I'm gonna stop the stop the shots." So I, I was continue to uh, keep working hard, and then one day become a better goalie (laughs) was it I mean I've never obviously had to move to another country was that is that daunting or were you excited to you know experience living in a different country I was very excited you know my goal uh, my goal is always playing NHL no matter what Mm -hmm. I was uh, you know I'm not I'm that that kind of guy who sets like the highest goals in in your career and I always try to reach those goals and I was able to do that um, when I came to the United States I was uh, 20 years old it was a pretty hard transition for me mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time I was like so excited about everything you know it's just a different culture like different league yeah. you know it, I mean everything was new for me and I didn't speak any English so it was the hardest part was for me like uh, to learn English and then uh, you have to learn uh, when you come here like as soon as you can because you can't communicate with anybody and it's it's a part toughest like part because you don't have any friends, yeah. and you kind of have to make the fr- make a friends. You have to communicate with the coaching staff and your teammates. And then uh, I mean, when I play in Washington, uh, my first uh, three years, um, we had a lot of uh, Russian players in the team. They helped me yeah. um, a lot, like the guys like Avechkin, Semen, Kozlov, Fedorov. I mean, it was a lot of Russian guys in the first year. Uh, but that was in Wash. But the first year, the first year I started uh, with Hershey Bears, we didn't have any Russians, so. It was, uh, it was, but we had a great team, though. You know, yeah. we we won the Calder Cup that year, and the yeah. next year the team won the Calder Cup. But that wasn't part of it because I got called up the first year and I played in Washington uh, for the playoffs. 
but we had an unbelievable team. You know, I would give up like three, four goals, and it was score five, six. Yeah. I remember like first two games, like I give up like twelve goals, and we still like won two games. I was like, oh my god, this team is like amazing. <laughs> and then like they had amazing uh, fans uh, in Hershey. Every game we would play it was sold out. Yeah. So it was uh, it was hard for me um, to adjust to culture, but it was a lot of fun to play hockey. How did how did you learn English? The different guys, you know, some guys watch TV and pick it up that way, or is it was it just in practice? Listen, I'm still learning my English. is Not perfect, but uh, it's better like, than mine. It seems it, it got a lot better, um, yeah. like last couple of years, uh, especially. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first three years I didn't even learn English uh, because we had so many Russians in the team. I would just yeah. go places and then I would ask the guys for help. They would translate for me always, you yeah. know. And I would always hang out with Ovi. And then he would always like bring, bring me places so I don't need like yeah. to do anything. And then uh, we had a Russian PR guy working for oh, yeah. Sergei, yeah. Uh, yep. working for Washington. Sure. So every interview he would uh, just translate for me. It was kind of easy life for me. <laughs> uh, when, I, when I went to play in Colorado, we had. Um, we had no Russians in the team. We only had a young Hida who would speak. Uh, he's from Czech Republic. He's yeah. the one who would speak uh, Russian, and then uh, we'd only communicate with him in Russian. That's how I realized. And like, listen, man, it's kind of embarrassing. Like, after three years, you don't even speak English. Yeah. So I had to start watching more uh, TV shows in English. Yeah. I would watch the favorite movies with the yeah. subscribe. Uh, I'll say yeah. that thing. Oh, the Netflix. Or the, uh, no, I just I would I would just start yeah. watching the same movies over and over. Oh, the okay. movies I like on Russian, I would start watching them in English because yeah. I knew how to translate all the words. Right. And, uh, so things like that. Yeah, it must be good to have a guy like Leo in the room, though. To, to no, yeah, I mean it's always fun to yeah. to to have a guy who speaks uh, Russian, you know. Yeah. And then because you can make uh, Russian jokes and stuff. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but now my English got a lot better, so... But yeah. Leo's a funny, funny guy, anyway. Yeah, yeah He no. makes the jokes all the time. Yeah, just last one, you happy with where the game is right now? Or, uh, yeah. uh, there's always a room to improve the game, um, you know. Um, like I said, it's a long season. It's going to be up and downs always. Uh, but, uh, like, the, the team... Um, always expect uh, from the uh, goalies to play... Um, uh, what's the word? I forgot. Solid structure. Or yeah, like solid every game. You know, yeah. where the team expect you to to give a chance to to win the, yeah. give, help them to, to win the game. So this is where I am. I mean, uh, right now, when I have a chance to play, I, I try to uh, give my best, uh, and I try to you know play hard and give this chance, uh, give this team a chance to win the, every game I'm in the net. If the Greiser is in the net, uh, I'm rooting for him, you know, because uh, I know how important every point right now in the playoff uh, run, and then every point, uh, every game matters. So it doesn't matter who is in the net. I'm just, uh, I just want us to win, you know. All right, Semyon, I appreciate it all the time. Thanks. Yeah. And thanks again to Semyon Varlama for taking the time to uh, chat about his past and how he became a goalie and all that kind of good stuff. It's always fun talking to him. I, I, I particularly enjoy the goalie position, sort of fooled around playing playing goalie a little bit when I was a kid. I've always just been fascinated by everything that goes into being a goalie and and, and how those guys think and, and prepare and all that kind of stuff. That interview was done uh, Monday in Washington at the after the morning skate in Washington, Thomas Grice played in that 5-3 win at Washington. And Semyon, of course, came back on Tuesday night with 35 saves in the 5-3 win over the Flyers. Really, uh, I thought a really strong performance by him. And uh, we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, if Barry Trott sticks with the, the goalie rotation. It would be Thomas Grice up against the Preds on Thursday, which would mean Semyon back in net probably uh, Saturday at Vegas. But we'll see how that all shakes about. And uh, and from there, we will go to the Twitter Q&A. As everyone knows, it's time for Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And uh, I, I know when I sent out the tweet... Uh, uh, asking for questions, I said, since I'll be doing this in Nashville, which I am in my uh, hotel room here, 
Uh, I said, since I'll be in Music City, I'm thinking of singing my answers. I am sorry if anyone tuned in to hear me sing, um, but I do not think I'll be doing that. And you know what? Uh, I'm saving you guys. Just trust me on that one. Um, And in fact, (laughs) to explain that, we'll, uh, we'll start with Doc Ed's question, who says... Do you think there's a chance that the Wild, the Minnesota Wild, may flip Alex Galchenyuk? I feel like his price isn't too high and putting him in a top six role could work. I think it's a fit with the Islanders, question mark. Also, please don't sing as Stape. That's my good friend and, uh, you know, my Newsday predecessor, Arthur Staple, who I, I, I... I, I go way back with. We were on the Rangers beat together, as I mentioned, uh, when, when I first started covering the NHL in 2003. Uh, Arthur knows me very well. Uh, so Doc Ed says, also, please don't sing. As Stape says, you have a terrible voice. I kid, I kid. Thanks. And no, Stape is, uh, Arthur is not kidding. I have one of the world's worst voices <laughs> singing-wise. Uh, you know, maybe I could do okay in radio, but uh, as far as singing, flat, monotone, couldn't hit a note if I tried, um, you know, my bar mitzvah, me having to, you know, sing the prayers and the uh, and the Torah portion, actually, I, I, I did not chant the Torah portion, uh, uh, the rabbi, uh, you know, kind of steered me a different direction after we started going down that path, uh, it just cannot sing, so, uh, <laughs> thanks for you know doc thanks for uh pointing out that other people have gone on twitter to talk about my horrible singing voice anyway to the question could the wild flip galchenyuk yeah i i, I could see that because I, I don't as i mentioned i don't think galchenyuk is a long-term solution in minnesota and if if someone's willing to give you something for him, you know, to be honest, you know, Alex Galchenyuk, you know, will probably be lucky to get a one-year deal in the NHL next season based on past performances and the season and all that and the fact that he hasn't been able to stick anywhere. Um, so if the Wild feel they can get an asset for him, and I know Billy Guerin also said, you know, that uh, trading away Zucker did not uh, mean that the Wild were throwing up the white flag on the season, but I, I I think it would be smart business if the Wild get a good offer for Galchenyuk to to move him and try and get an asset there. Would would he be a fit with the Isles? I mean, what part of Alex Galchenyuk are you talking about? You know, uh, uh, if he could pot a few goals and you know skate and you know fit in. Uh, you know, take a flyer on him, maybe not the world's worst idea. I, I don't necessarily seeing it happy happening for the Islanders, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Wild did flip Galchanyuk, uh, although there was, there's been no indication yet that that's the path they're going down. I, I just think that's, you know, a smart connecting the dots there of a possibility. But uh, uh, Ryan Maroney says, now speaking of trades... I think it's time to dangle Nick Letty. He's a great skater and can move the puck. Everything else is lacking. Not physical, refuses to shoot when there's chaos in front. Never seen so many passes end up flubbed or on an opposing player's sticks and skates. With with, with Adam Pellick, certainly with Adam Pellick out, I don't think they're dangling uh, Nick Letty. Um, You know, I I think if anything, they're trying to accumulate uh, depth and uh, talent on the back end. And, uh, you know, Barry Trotz, uh, you know, I I know what your thoughts are on Nick Letty. Uh, Barry Trotz has, you know, an opposing view of Nick Letty. He he finds his skating, um, you know, a, a real asset to the team and uh and and also he he likes what Nick can bring offensively um you know three goals 17 assists um and used on the power play if you trade Nick Letty you know even if you Ryan do not like his game i think the islanders would be very 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 hard pressed to replace what what Nick Letty does or can bring to the team um See, Brian Gill says, how are the Islanders dealing with the stick shortage because of the uh, coron- coronavirus? Um, 
And interesting you asked, I, I actually did have a, a bit of a discussion on this, and uh, the, the short answer is it has not affected the Islanders as of yet, but um, it, it does have the potential to hinder or at least reduce or, you know, the amount of sticks the Islanders can get in before the end of the season. So it, it, it's a good question, Brian. It is something that is going to have to be monitored from the Islanders end and, you know, before soon, before the end of the regular season, they may have to look for outside sources or, or different sources, uh, certainly not sticks made in China uh, to replenish because uh, the players do go through uh, sticks and they, and they get them in in bulk and everything. So it, it, it's not an issue right now. It could be an issue within the next month is what I'm being told. Um, Glenn Arfjord says, Hey, Andrew, do you think the Islanders will speed up the trading now that Casey Sezikis is out, and the need for a center is so big that even Lou can't quote unquote stand pat anymore. Or is the price too high right now? Keep up, uh, yeah, thank you. He says, keep up the good work. Love the podcast. Sorry, I, I'm not trying to slap myself on the back here, you know, maybe in the forehead, but not on the back. Um, but I, I appreciate that, Glenn. Um, you know the prices are high right now. Uh, you know I, I'm hearing that the, uh, the the Kings are looking for a, a first rounder for Tyler Toffoli and maybe a prospect. Um, you know, and I don't. I certainly think you know maybe the Islanders would be a little happier if that that price was a second rounder there. Um, so yeah, uh, the, the the prices are still high. You know they may come down before the Feb twenty fourth trade deadline. But yeah, I, 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 as discussed, I, I do think that Casey Sezikis being out and, you know, even if it's for a month, even if he's back, you know, three weeks, um, you know, it, it sort of does alter, you know, the landscape for the Islanders in terms of trades, especially with Pelic and Adam Pelic and Cal Clutterbuck out. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I do think that Lou, you know, could or should acquire someone both up front and in the back end, you know, for the depth. Um, and, you know, taking nothing away from Cole Bardreau, who's getting the first shot here. But, you know, I, I think for depth purposes, yeah, it, it certainly raises the urgency for, for Lou to kind of bolster the, the, the somewhat injury-depleted lineup. Um, whether he's going to be able to pull that off, you know, sooner rather than later, I, I still think the market is developing, and I think right now if you trade, you're, you're, you're buying very high. And, uh, you know, you probably, you know, I know you're balancing uh, need versus, you know, short-term need versus long-term need. But, uh, you know, if the Islanders can, you know, continue to grind out points here, um, and obviously this road trip will be a huge indicator of where the Islanders are uh, getting closer to the trade deadline. Um, if you can continue to accumulate points here, it kind of eases the need to make an immediate trade. But, you know, if the Islanders come out with Sezikis and lose, you know, two, three in a row, then, yeah, you, you're running in the red zone there and you, and you need to do something. Um, Jeremy uh, says, how long is enough of a sample size to see what you've got in Bellows this season? Is there enough time before the deadline? Well, you know, uh, it's sort of uh, yes and no. Uh, you know, obviously, you want to give Kiefer a longer sample size to really show what he can do at the NHL level. He's looked good, you know, in, in a couple of games. Was that healthy scratch in Washington because Barry wanted to get Ross Johnson in the lineup? Uh, not not awful against the, uh, the Flyers the other night. Uh, what do you have? He was in for, I think, 11 minutes in that game. Uh, as I scan the score sheet, yep, eleven twenty-eight with three shots and had two other shots blocked. So, uh, you know, again, you know, Kiefer being active in the offensive zone, um, I, I, I don't think before the February twenty-fourth trade deadline is enough time to get a full assessment on what kind of NHL player he is. But it is, you know, a, a good enough assessment for now 
for Lou to see whether the Islanders can get by with him in the lineup or whether they really need to address and, and get some more scoring. So kind of a yes and no answer, but long-term, no. Uh, you really want to see Kiefer given a real shot. Um, you know, two, three weeks is is a small sample size. Um Let's see, Ben Cohen says, any past in music? Certainly not as a singer. Um, (laughs) And who is the best singer in the Islanders locker room? The worst. And you know what? Those are interesting questions. Honestly, cannot tell you. I know there's some guys in there who do play guitar. um, And I'm assuming if you can play guitar, you at least can sort of get close to a note and maybe, uh, you know, sing backup at the best. But I, I, I can't tell you who the best singer in the Islanders room or the worst is. But, you know, that's an interesting question. And I, I, I'll try and find the answer. You know, get back to me, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks or, or next week. Ask me that again. And then and hopefully, uh, you know, I can give you some kind of an answer. As for me, any past in music, I think I've made it clear I own a drum set um, that does not necessarily make me what you would call, you know, a a drummer. I do play the drums. Um, I love playing the drums. It's a lot of fun. I've been in, you know, a lot of different bands and, you know, I've played a a lot of different clubs, uh, both you know, when when I worked in Oneonta, played up in Oneonta, played clubs in Syracuse, and certainly, you know, around New York City and Manhattan, too. And, you know, if if I had a, a shining moment or two shining moments or, or, you know, what I considered, you know, the pinnacle of, you know, having fun in a band, I, I got to play uh, the old CBGB twice uh, in two different bands. And, you know, half-hour sets both times, and, and it was just magical being up on that stage and you know just knowing the history in that in that you know that little dive and and, and which by the way if you've ever been to the bathroom at CBGB you know what I'm talking about that might have been the scariest place on the planet Um, down it was down a, a dingy stairway and just it was it was a mess down there but you know a good mess but yeah you know getting to play CBGB was just you know, it, you felt the connection to all those great bands, you know, who had been up on that stage. And he, and even not the great bands, just, you know, bands like mine who were, you know, as happy as I was to be up on that stage. It was just, you know, two two of the greatest half hours I've had. Um, let's see, John uh, Cav says, uh, some teams are letting the players, their players pick their own goal songs. What would yours be? Well, if you're talking about me being on an NHL rink and actually scoring a goal, um, two things come to mind, sort of the same vein. Uh, you know, uh, a Steph- uh, Jefferson Starship Miracles, uh, you know, if I, if I actually scored a goal or, or uh, you know, 10 years later, uh, Slade put out a song. And Slade, by the way, you know, is one of the one of my favorite bands, and they do not get enough credit for just how great they were. Uh, but Slade had a song in '85 uh, called "Do You Believe in Miracles," <laughs> and, uh, and if I ever scored, uh, first of all, if I ever got enough like oomph on my shot or speed skating to 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 actually slip a puck past an NHL goalie, any song with the word "miracle" or "miracles" in it would would apply. Thomas W. Carroll asks, with the tight schedule ahead, do you think Trotz, Barry Trotz, will roll with the goalie rotation? And yeah, yes I do. And, uh, you know, uh, Barry has addressed that. He said the schedule is really going to dictate what he can and cannot do in terms of the goalies. And uh, I believe it's, uh, where are we up to, six games now? Five, six games where the goalies have rotated again. Of course, they rotated for 33 games to start the season. Um, I don't know, well, I mean, the, that was exactly the number of games, 33, coming out of the, uh, the, uh, the, the in-season vacation, the all-star break, uh, bye week. Um, I don't know if he goes another 33-game rotation, but yeah, for the most part, from here through the April 4th season finale, both Thomas Grice and Semyon Varlamov, if healthy, are pretty much going to share that net, um... See, Michael Klink says, 
Uh, is there any talk that the schedule should be more heavy to your divisional opponents at the end of the season? As an example, it is mid-February and the Islanders don't play Washington anymore. Very true. Uh, Monday's game, uh, the 5-3 win at Washington was the fourth and final regular season game. And for the second straight year, uh, the team split the four games with the road team winning every game, which means that Barry Trotz is 4-0 in Washington as the Islanders coach, but 0-4 in New York. Um, so it's mid-February, the Islanders don't play Washington anymore, and just one more game versus Pittsburgh, uh, the two teams we are trying to catch. Uh, it, it could create more interest. And I, I, you know, you're preaching to the choir here, Michael. I... I am a big proponent of more divisional matchups and certainly down the stretch. Um, you know, for instance, the Islanders go to Vancouver, go to Edmonton, go to Calgary in mid-March. And I would much rather have that trip earlier in the season and see the Islanders, you know, playing. Uh, the, 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 the Islanders are done with the Rangers on uh on February 25th. So nothing in March against the Rangers. You know, and I know, you know, the Rangers are behind them in the standings, but still, that's the rivalry, right? Um, I, 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 I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'd like to see there be there, there be more than four divisional games per season. Uh, you know, you go back to uh, when I first started on the NHL beat, and, and I think, what was it, there were five... Uh, five teams in each division. I, I remember like, you know, eight divisional, you, you played the the other teams in your division eight times in a year. I mean, and it was unfair in a way because say you're the New York Rangers or you're the New York Islanders. So four of your road games are at Madison Square Garden. Four of them are at New Jersey. Four of them are at Philadelphia. It's 12 of 41 games where basically you could just, you know, kind of almost make them day trips. So it wasn't fair to the rest of the league, but I, 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 I'm not a fan of anything in terms of, you know, how the NHL is set up now with the eight team divisions, their playoff format, you know, how often you play the teams, this, you know, three games against the uh, teams in the other divisions. So some, some years you, you, you travel to a city twice, some years it's once. I, I, I really don't like any of this. And, uh, you know, also Barry Trotz talked about this in Washington. He doesn't like the playoff format. Of course, you know, his president's trophy uh, Capitals got knocked out two years in a row in the second round. And Barry's point was, you know, wh why, why have a matchup in the second round of the playoffs that should be the conference final when you have, like, you know, the number one and number two teams not only in the division. Uh, one year the Caps and the Penguins were 1-2 in the NHL and they're meeting in the second round. And, you know, I, I just think you want to, you know, have your marquee playoff matchups later. Yeah, I agree with Barry completely on that and and no I don't like this scheduling and I would like to see more games against divisional opponents um but to get back in a, a roundabout long way to the the question is there any talk that the schedule should be more heavy not from the league um Gary Bettman and company love this format um we'll we'll see what happens you know uh, well, you know, when Seattle joins as the 32nd team, it almost balances it out even more um, and probably locks the NHL into this format. Um, but you know, it, what the NHL loves with the playoffs is that NCAA-style bracket, which they can market. And, uh, you know, so no, for, as far as changing anything, there is absolute. I have heard no talk that anything but what it is, what it is now will continue to be. Um, Beast LM says, where do you rank, rank Nashville on your top visiting cities list? I've been there and I think it's a top city, uh, not to mention the Nashville hot chicken slaps. And yeah, you know, <laughs> Nashville is always one you circle on the calendar. I would say I, I, I love going to Nashville. I, I love going to Montreal. Um, I don't mind Las Vegas. Uh, I like going to Toronto too, but yeah, you know, if you really ask me to, to name my favorite trips in the, of the year, Nashville and Montreal, you know, either order are, are probably one too. Um, let's see, Scott says, 
with Thomas Hickey healthy and potentially playing this weekend for the Sound Tigers, do you think Lou focuses on on acquiring scoring help rather than a veteran D-man. Uh, I, I would kind of rein it in with Thomas Hickey um, as far as how quickly he could get back to help the Islanders. Um, I, I think it's great that he's, you know, I know he was back for practice the other day. Um, I think it's great. I, I'm a, You know, I really like Hicks. Um, and, and I think it's just been a rough go since he suffered that concussion. Devontae's essentially takes his job and, and this season, you know, he would have been up here, uh, you know, for a while now with, with Pelic out. But of course, uh, Thomas has been out since November. Um, you know, they, they're calling it lower body injury. Uh, you know, I'm hearing that it was, you know, not only it was twofold, it was both a groin and a knee. You know, so Thomas has had a, a long way back, uh, you know, and, you know, I asked Barry Trotz about, you know, Thomas Hickey being able to contribute, and, and Barry said, look, Thomas has got to get his games in, and that's going to be in Bridgeport. It's not going to be in the NHL. So uh, I think you're looking at a, a longer term if, you know, Thomas Hickey uh, getting back to the Islanders. Um I and and again, I think I've said this. I think Lou needs to focus both on getting some scoring help and also potentially helping the back end. And you know, I know I think I mentioned this last week. You know, <laughs> arrange a trade with the uh, with the Devils uh, for for Kyle Palmieri and Andy Green. And I, I think Lou, you know, those are two huge check marks. And I, you know, I think it was it's pretty obvious that Lou tried to go into the Devils. Uh, you know, bag once this season with Travis Zajac, who I also think would have been a perfect fit for this Islanders team. Uh, uh, Travis, you know, can can veto any potential deals uh, via his contract. Did not want to leave New Jersey, um, but you know, I think any one of those three players. You know, maybe I'm a little biased having covering the covered the Devils and seeing those guys day in day out. I really. You know, I like what all three would bring to the room and on the ice. You know, they, they fit certain niches uh, that the Islanders would, would need. Um, let's see, Benjamin uh, Deer says, Do you foresee Bellows staying with the big league club for good? Where does he fit in right now if everyone is healthy? And I, I think if everyone is healthy, um, Kiefer fits in exactly where he is. Is You know, he's not... Not quite, you know, I don't think they're going to trust him top six quite yet. And it has less to do uh, with his offensive potential as, you know, trusting him fully, completely defensively. And and those matchups that you would get defensively, say, if you're on, you know, in the top six, as compared to on the third line. So I think right now the third line is perfect for Kiefer. Um, staying with the big league club for good, I... I'm not ready to go there yet. You know, there have been a lot of rookies who come in with a really strong start and then the league kind of adjusts to them. And uh, you you see they need to go back to the AHL for a little bit more seasoning. I think more often than not, you wind up going back to the AHL after your first call-up. Of course, exceptions. But, you know, my experience is you come up, you learn a little bit about the NHL, you go back down, you apply it in the NHL. The next time you come up, you know, you're a couple of steps ahead of the game. So, uh, you know, it, it, it wouldn't shock me that if Kiefer, you know, gets a little bit more time in the AHL um, at some point. Not right now, obviously. Uh, Island Dixie says, oh, okay. We will be there, I'm assuming, in Nashville. Hope to see you in the arena. Yeah, I'll be in the press box. Uh, I'm the guy with the beard, you know, so just wave. Um, Nathan says, uh, do you think we might see Bellows get some time with uh, with Barzell on Power Play 1 at some point? Um, you know, and obviously that's, you know, a role that that Kiefer had down uh, with Bridgeport, I, I think Barry is breaking him in slowly. That's more of Barry's style is to, you know, uh, introduce things slowly to younger players rather than giving them the full smorgasbord at once. Um, so uh, right now, no, I, I don't think Kiefer is uh, is going to get power play one 
time right now. At some point, yeah, that is the plan for this kid because he he's you know he would be really a, a good asset on the power play when that time comes. I'm not sure, but probably not in the you know in the next couple of weeks here. Uh, Richie L says I'll seem lousy on faceoffs and have now lost their best faceoff man. What will they do to improve in that area? Sort of, uh, well, you know, if they could have gotten Travis, Travis Zajac, that would have helped a whole hell of a lot. But um, that did not come through. We, we got to see who they bring in. Um, that certainly will be, you know, probably a consideration. Although I, I still think, you know, do they, do they go for a, a wing or, or a center? You know, uh, wings are probably a little bit easier to get. Um, Kodo says, uh, hi, uh, this is Corey from Yellowknife, uh, Northwest, uh, Northern Territories. Uh, wow. Yeah. I'm a, yeah, I like Yellowknife or I've never, I shouldn't say that. I've never been to Yellowknife. I like the idea of Yellowknife. I think it's just, you know, it's so foreign to, uh, to, uh, you know, the way I was raised in lower Manhattan. So, uh, uh, you mentioned a possible AHL episode a while back. Maybe bring on the beat writer for the Sound Tigers to provide updates, etc. Uh, not sure they have a beat writer, but curious what's happening down there on, on the farm, injuries and performance-wise. And I will, ad- I will admit, I, I tried going the route you're suggesting. It, it did not come through. Um, but yeah, you know, I, that is still something, probably something to do, uh, after the trade deadline, but it, it is still something that, uh, I'm interested in. So, uh, you know, thank you for your interest and, uh, thank you for reading all the way from Yellowknife. That's fantastic. Um, Mike T says, Andrew, why is everyone so quick? to criticize the Barclays ice when, in fact, the Coliseum ice is probably worse. Also, going into the game against the Flyers, uh, the Islanders are 6-0-3 at Barclays. Uh, now 7-0-3, of course. Yet people wax poetic about the quote-unquote barn. I just don't get it. Well, yeah, you know, people are quick to criticize the Barclays ice because it's just... It's not a hockey arena, you know. I, I don't know how much more plainly I can say it. It's not configured to be a hockey arena. The the, the sight lines are not great. Um, the ice making process there isn't correct. Um, you know, the, when it was built, you know, I, I from what I understand, the they didn't put in, you know, the uh, the pipes that you know other NHL arenas are, have just because they didn't think there was going to be hockey there. Um, so yeah, you know, the Barclays ice is not top quality ice, but you're right. You know, the Nassau Coliseum ice is, you know, it probably, you know, and again, I'm not skating on it. There are some nights when it's probably right around the same quality, but, you know, as I've mentioned, the players kind of have stopped complaining about any of it because they, that's just what they come to expect at most NHL arenas, you know, all these multi-use buildings, the, the ice just, the quality just does not stay fresh or, or really good. So uh, um, people wax poetic about the barn because it is just that. You were, you feel like you're sitting on top of the ice and, you know, they, they really haven't upgraded. I know they did this renovation, but you still feel like you're walking into a building from the 70s, and there is some romanticism uh, for, in that, just because there are no other buildings. You know, Calgary is really the only one I can think of, and, you know, Winnipeg to a certain, a lesser extent, because it, it's kind of that compact feel, but, you know, the, the Coliseum sight lines and just how you're on top of the ice and so close to the ice, you really don't get that anywhere else. And and that's why people wax poetic. And, of course, the history at the Coliseum, winning four Stanley Cups. I know it's 1980 to 83, um, you know, but that's still fresh in a lot of people's minds, um, you know, in terms of being associated with that building. Um, Fudd says... Why do you think the Islanders play so great at Barclays and so bad at the Coliseum? Uh, the players must like Brooklyn better than Nassau. I can tell you that is not the case. Uh, the players would prefer not to have to, you know, commute 
after having a morning skate out in East Meadow, they would prefer to go to their home, have their afternoon nap, and then take the 10-minute drive to Nassau Coliseum and not the hour, whatever it is, into Brooklyn and, you know, going through that mess to, to try and get to that arena. You know, the, the players prefer playing in Nassau. Um, it's, um, but as to why the Islanders play so great at Barclays and so bad at the Coliseum, uh, you know what, I, I can't give you an honest answer or, or, or a real reason on that other than, you know, I, I think the, the, the Coliseum record, they, it was a bad stretch for the team and they just happened to have their home games at the Coliseum during that stretch. And, uh, but yeah, they've, they've, they've been good at Barclays seven Oh and three. You know what? I wouldn't think too deeply on it. Just enjoy the fact that they're winning. And, uh, Hopefully, everyone enjoyed all of this. Uh, episode 21 of Island Ice. Thank you so much for checking back with me. Um, if you've missed any of the past episodes, uh, you know where to find it. It's on the Newsday website, newsday.com backslash sports. You can find me on Twitter at A Gross Newsday, and you can also find the podcast uh, wherever podcasts are available. And uh, with that, I'm going to sign off from Nashville, and I will talk to you next week from uh, somewhere else on the road, be it in uh, Arizona or Denver. Uh, I'll, I'll catch up to you guys. And until then, happy hockey, everybody.